0: I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no froth conversations exploring money and life. Money is a story, an energy, a source of happiness and well-being, as well as being a source of fear and anxiety. Many of us struggle to see that money is just a means to an end, and that the decisions we make and the habits we build around money can change our life and the lives of others. Why are so many of us inhibited when it comes to talking about money? That's what I'd like to explore. Listeners, my guests from all walks of life share their stories and how money has impacted their journey. My hope is these shared experiences will help you think differently about money and ultimately make better money and life decisions. Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of Money Expresso. How's January going for you? I hope it's been kind to you whether you've started any New Year's resolutions, habits, maybe turned dry, become a vegan, or maybe you're just getting on with life. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, I'm just going to read you one of the lovely reviews Money Expresso has received. This is from a lady called Neela Mistry, and she says, I've only listened to a few episodes, but I thoroughly enjoyed learning about people's experiences around money and what matters to them. Certainly makes sure you reflect and think about your own experiences. Ruth has such a beautiful flow when chatting to her guests, so highly recommend you grab a cuppa and tune in. Oh, thanks so much, Neela. I really appreciate you taking the time to leave that thoughtful review. Please do let me know if you've got any feedback on the show, because it really helps me make sure I'm creating something of value, and most importantly, honouring your listening time. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. She's a super smart, intelligent and fun woman called Claire Fielding. Claire eloquently and sensitively explains her journey to co-found and become, we believe, the first trans woman managing partner of a city law firm, Town Legal. Claire generously shares her story of acceptance that nature had misplaced her gender and how she became the person she was born to be. She tells us about her dream to have her own business and how the stars ultimately aligned to make that so. She also talks about the dynamic and fresh coaching-led law firm that she and her colleagues are creating at Town Legal and why Empathy and compassion wins the day. Grab yourself a cuppa and tune in. Claire, it's a super warm welcome to Money Expresso. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me on, Ruth. I'm really pleased to um, join you.
0: Thank you. So can we just kick off, Claire, with uh, just you telling us a little bit about your journey to co-founding Town Legal, which I think you set up four or five years or so ago.
1: It was five years last month, actually. So we're now into Gosh. our sixth year. I know time flies, doesn't it? Um, it does. So I'm a lawyer. Town Legal is a, is a legal practice. It's a specialist planning law practice. So we get planning permission for things and defend planning permission permissions against attack by others and attack other people's planning permissions, all that kind of stuff. How did I get into that? Well, um, I um, got, well, funnily enough, you know, I, I worked on some amazing projects some projects for Fidelity. I was lucky enough in the early part of my career to work on the Arsenal Stadium. Um, and I was doing property, general property law then. Um, so, um, but, but kind of really doing a bit of with a little bit of planning work. Um, and doing the planning stuff really opened my eyes and made me, Um, really engaged me and made me um, um, quite passionate about about how I felt about my work. I love the city. I've always loved maps. I love architecture. I love art. And so I never really imagined as a lawyer, you could actually get involved with all that kind of thing. And that's what planning has allowed me to do. Um, Parallel to that, I've always had a massive fantasy about having my own business. I remember when i started work i, I in fact I, my my first job was not as a lawyer i worked at the bank of england for 8 years and i remember walking from fenchurch street where i used to come into london through the city to the bank and i used to look peer into office windows and things and think oh my god i one day i'd love to have my own company um and then one day one day the stars aligned in a way which made that a really viable proposition um, and we can talk about that more. We can talk about that more uh, now, if you like, or, or later in in the interview.
0: No, well, that's great. No, we can come certainly come back to that, Claire, because I know you'd got a few really strong views about why you wanted to set up your own firm and and the culture that you want to create. So I'd love to come back to that. But but thank you for just giving us that bit of scene setting. Um, and it's a real positive, actually, to hear a lawyer talking about you know a combination of art and architecture and bringing that into the law, I can I can really understand why that would resonate. Um, but this is a money podcast, Claire, so I'm going to take you scorching back to childhood and just ask you, if I were to um, imagine you um, in your early days, what's your earliest memory of money and what was kind of money like in your family growing up? It's an
1: interesting one, isn't it? Because as a kid, you don't really have an awareness of money. And then it's only when you're older later, you, you know, later you become older that you you have an awareness of what maybe your family situation was compared to other family situations. One, one instance I do remember, um, I, rem- I remember my mum sent me on an errand down to the local shops, and she gave me a pound note to go and fetch some whatever it was. And I rolled up this pound note and stuck it in the end of the handlebar of my bicycle mm-hmm. and cycled off down to the shops. And guess what happened? Lo and behold, when I got to the shops, the pound um, note had disappeared and I cycled back <laughs> to report this fact. Um, and mum, I mean, she wasn't angry with me, but but in retrospect, as an adult, I can see that it caused an enormous amount of distress and I later learned as you know as a grown-up that um, although I don't come from a poor family um, you know my dad used to lie awake at night and literally wonder where how how the bills were going to be paid and how the food was put on the table. Now I was not I was fortunately not one of those kids who ever was vaguely aware of being in poverty, we never wanted for anything, and I would, and I don't think we were in poverty. I never wanted anything. I had school books, I had school uniform. You know, if there were school trips, I went on the school trips. So I was in no way disadvantaged, but but I was I was I I was never aware until becoming an adult about how difficult it was for my parents. Um, and and it just struck me that 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 little pound note story and my mum's reaction to it was actually when I think back to it, um, you know, a kind of instant instant image of of how money must have been for them at the time. Although I didn't, I, although I wasn't aware of it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And it, I think, what you've you've explained there, I, I think, m- might be similar to many of our upbringings around money, and and the fa- the very fact almost that. People don't really talk about money, and um, it, it the, there does seem to be this um, uh, this 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 kind of you know money equals you know b- b- bad things very often, or it's not a responsibility that you want to put on a child. And so I think it's, I, yeah, I, I I think it's the same. I think a lot of kids don't really realise what what's happening in the family from a money perspective. But I love that story about the one pound coming out of your handlebars. I can just imagine that. Some kids, of course, sadly do
1: appreciate it because they actually Mm. feel day to day the, you know, the effects of it. You know, they go into school and they haven't been fed and stuff like that. And, you know, I was lucky enough never to have experienced anything like that. Indeed,
0: it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Do do you think any of the, uh, how, how do your how you remember your parents being around money do do you carry any of those stories into adulthood um my parents were very um they were of that they were they were working
1: class people of that sort of 1940s 50s 60s generation so they were they were not that they were not lavish they would Mm. um you know, they would never, you know, thought of taking a taxi as opposed to a bus would have been completely laughable. The thought of private school would have been, you know, completely out of the question. So so I don't remember, I don't ever remember money, although, although subsequently as an adult, I discovered that money was an issue. I never perceived money to be an issue um, in sure. my family. My dad was also quite a dab hand around the house. So I think maybe... Um, you know, whereas some families may have need, needed to spend money on getting this fixed or that done. My dad was one of those blokes who was was able to do that sort of stuff. So he was so okay. a lot of it was kind of handled in that way.
0: You mentioned school and I, you know, Claire, from um, hearing you speak um, elsewhere, when you describe your first day at school and you talk about your purple square or purple spot moment I just wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that experience for you yes yeah
1: of course yes well to put that in context it's in my bio obviously but I I I have to I should reveal myself now as a as a trans woman so I was um born born a boy and remained one um (laughs) until I was in my I suppose early 20s um and my first year at school um Again, it was one of those, you know, just one of those little little images that you never, ever forget. Our very first day, or I think it was our first day, the teacher decided to create this bar chart... Um, like she said, so she got a big, big piece of squared A3 paper, I guess, or something. Um, and you had to each member of the class had to come up and and you color. There were two two columns, a red column and a blue col- column. And you col- colored in a little blue square if you were a boy. And then it, in the adjacent column, you colored a square in red or pink or whatever, if you, I hope it wasn't pink, red I think it was, if if you were a little girl, and of course I went and coloured mine in red, in the red column, because, um, you know, I I, I don't know, I, I can't remember about how I felt my about my gender identity when I was four, but it was obviously strong enoughly confused that I put myself in the red column. Anyway, the teacher made me go over it in blue, um, and so consequently, for the whole of the first year of my education, um, um, which fortunately has otherwise turned out to be broadly successful, um, there was this large purple square stuck in the middle of this uh, wall chart. And and sometimes I use, you know, I do speak at things. I do get dragged out to, to wheeled out, whatever, to speak at things sometimes. Um, and and I, I relate that story, not just because it's a memory but because in in some context throughout my life I felt a bit like that I've felt like uh you know a, a, a purple square in a sea of blue and red squares if that makes sense whether that's in business or in society you know or in social situations or in family situations or wherever um um sometimes I feel like you know um you know, I've landed, landed on a space, just exited a spacecraft that's just landed on planet Earth. It's a bit, it's a bit hard to explain. And I exaggerate for effect. But you know, the kind of thing I mean,
0: I do, I do. And that that visual, visualisation that you've given us there, Claire, I think is really powerful. And, you know, I think for me, what it talks about is that spectrum upon which many of us sit. I mean, I, I spoke um, recently at a conference and I was telling my story and I, I, I mentioned or I, I termed it breaking binary and the reason I called it that is because I think there's a lot of confusion around the terms biology, gender and, and sexuality and my experience is that many of us sit on a fluid spectrum of it but I just wonder what those terms mean to you and 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 how they reflect your experience that's a, that's a
1: fascinating question and one that I I do engage in actually um, I, hmm. I'm not a trans campaigner um, and so I'm not a very political I, I mean I'm interested in politics but I'm, I'm not a political person from that perspective um, it strikes me it's no it's it strikes me that, that that there's a spectrum in the sense of you know there are people in the world I would include myself as one who don't you know who who you know fate has has conspired not to place easily and readily identifiably and and completely happily in one particular gender rather than another so there is a spectrum there is a spectrum but by the by the same token the the, the, the overwhelming majority of the human population is either male or female and mm. it's 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 it seems to me to be a falsehood to um, to say that you know we we we're all somewhere on some sort of spectrum. Sorry, not a falsehood. <laughs> that's that's it's an exaggeration to say that we're <laughs> all somewhere on some sort of spectrum. When in fact the major, vast vast majority of us are either male or female. And I and I get I do get involved in quite a lot of debates with um, people whether they whether they're trans campaigners or more often. Um, some some radical feminists, or or actually some just a- outwardly you know gender critical people, um, who I who who I do really try never to lose my patience with, but try and try and um, explain what it feels like um, for your gender identity not to not to match your biological sex. Um, Um, And, and, you know, and and in one sense, I can understand if you're a person like 99.8% of the population are whose biological gender, biological sex and gender identity are the same, you could be sort of forgiven for believing or thinking or assuming that there's no such thing as gender identity separate from biological sex. Um, But I can assure you that there is. Um, And I know that because I happen to be a person whose biological gender is male, um, but whose, uh, sorry, biological sex is male, but whose gender identity is clearly female. Um, And that's just, that's just the way that nature put me together. Um, That's, and I think that's okay. I used to have I used to feel under ever such a lot of pressure um you know if somebody got my pronouns wrong when i was in my when, when, when I was in my sort of early days of transition um it happens less now, although it happens very infrequently now to be fair, but you know sometimes people would you know when you're on that intermediate journey um pe- people will get those pronouns a bit wrong sometimes they don't mean anything by it um but then there's also some people who deliberately use, you, do you misgender you and they do mean something by it. So, 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 so I, I tend to take um, a kind of measured, uh, a, a sort of measured philosophical approach to, to that. Um, being transgender is something I am and it's something I'm very proud of, whereas before it was perhaps something that I was ashamed of. Um uh, I no longer feel shameful about it. I feel very proud of it. And I think that's because I express it and I talk about it. Um I don't I I don't bang on about it. Um and and certainly I don't I I certainly don't regard it as being in any way the most important thing in my life or the most important important fact about myself there are there are lots of other things there are lots of other descriptors or nouns or adjectives that i would use in relation to myself to define myself before i got to the word trans if that makes sense
0: no, it totally makes sense. And, you know, I think um, you know, labelling people is, is never is never helpful. And, and and thank you for that explanation, Claire. It's it's very helpful, I think, for for me and and our, um anybody listening to to understand. There would be some people that would say, Claire, that you were very brave to go through your transition. What would your response to that be?
1: People often say that. Um it didn't feel uh, in retrospect i suppose that there were probably parts of it where you do have to you know steal your nerves and plow on but but for me i didn't feel it was an act of bravery i felt it was an act of submission really um mm-hmm. um you, you know the the, the 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 feeling of that gender uh, mismatch is so overwhelming um that Certainly, in the case cases of people like me, and I suppose here is where there maybe is a bit of a spectrum, Ruth. Actually, you know, if you talk about people, if if you if you take out of the account, you know, the ninety eight point eight percent who are comfortably mm-hmm. male or comfortably female, then there is a, there then there is more of something that you could describe as a spectrum. Um, yeah, and there, different people feel that they want to place themselves at different points on that spectrum. For me, I wanted to go all the way and I've always felt compelled to do that. So so, so really, my life, my early life, was really rather a battle against not doing it um, mm. and then giving up, fighting, rather than um, sort of living, living a life and then deciding that that's what I wanted to do.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really... I, I like the way that you've 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 switched that to be something that submission sounds rather like giving up and I know what you mean by that but yeah it certainly was was just listening to what felt right to you and I think that's a really really cool way of looking at it because
1: i was i was i was you know trying to i was playing a role you know imagine imagine Mm. imagine if you had to imagine if somebody you woke up tomorrow and somebody said right okay ruth today you've got to be this person and you've got Mm. to spend the rest of the the next 25 years of your life being that person how you can imagine how exhausting that that would be um and mm. you would eventually give up wouldn't you that's precisely what you would do yeah. you would say yeah screw this yeah. i give up um, and that's that's yeah. that's how it felt for me
0: yeah no i can imagine now you you've obviously got uh, your your journey today is it's not unique but it's different to, as you say, to ninety eight point eight percent of the population, or, or there or thereabouts, how have you used your personal experience and your values to influence uh, decisions that you've taken, perhaps around setting up your own business and the way that you have built uh, Town Legal to be, as opposed to staying at I think you were at Slaughter and May before one of the the Magic Circle firms. So tell me a little bit about how your experiences has um, played out in in your career choice i've um, I, i've been i 've been very
1: lucky in where i 've worked um, i as i said i 've I've worked sort of i 've had a few sort of seven to eight year stints at various places first of all the Bank of England, which was absolutely fascinating i have to say um, mm. I'd, I'd, I read history at university and i 'd become really interested in Economic history, actually, and how economics and politics interplay, Um, and um, I I said that in the interview at the Bank of England, and um, um, that must have impressed somebody because because I I found (laughs) myself working at the Bank of England, and that and that was an amazing, amazingly interesting experience. But I felt myself, I felt myself wanting to have a trade, as it were, and the Bank Mm -hmm. of England wasn't really a trade um i was, i've always been good with words and languages and logic and that sort of thing much more so than with figures or 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 or, or you know technical uh, di, di, you, you know art. i i'm not artful i'm not arty i'm not creative um and so law was law law was something that sort of came quite naturally to me um and i got you know i went to law school in the evening And I went to Slaughter and May was where I was my first law firm. And I went to a couple of others before setting up town. I I enjoyed my time there. I I wouldn't I wouldn't denigrate any of those firms. I learned loads. I learned lots about how I wouldn't lead a business, I have to say. Mm -hmm. They are very... um, now it'd be very easy at this point, wouldn't it, to say that they're very macho, male-dominated places, and that would be very—that would be a very easy thing to say. But, but, but there's more. To, I think they're they um, hmm, they they're, they're goal-driven, um, unempathetic, um, not sufficiently human. They they can be uncompassionate places sometimes. Mm. Um, they can. I was looking at. I was on LinkedIn this morning, and somebody had posted this amazing post about um, how she'd been working at. I think it was a law firm. It might have been an investment bank or something. But she'd been working at this 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 institution for however long it was, um, and she said she'd received that 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 morning. She'd received. Um, an email from her male superior uh, that simply said available question mark and I thought Mm -hmm. and that and and I responded to that post and that resonated so much with me because I you know I I remember you know uh, you know being being addressed in the same way you know never mind you know Claire hope you're okay can we have a chat about such and such but you know um, pop in, or what's this? Or so sometimes the one that really gets me, and it particularly gets me. Even some clients do it is when they just send you an email with a question mark in it. I mean, what could be more, what could be more unpleasant and aggressive than that? <laughs> yeah. Apart from a string yeah. of question marks, possibly. Um, <laughs> um, and so, so it's the corporateness, the the the, the corporate setup. I've always found to be a little bit oppressive. Um, uh, The group think I've always found to be a little bit oppressive. I'm a little bit, uh, one of my business partners describes me, and I think she means it in a nice way, as a bit of a free spirit. Um, I don't (laughs) really like being told what to do. um, And I don't really like towing party lines. Um, and, and, and actually I think a lot of lawyers are the set, a lot of lawyers are like that. I think it's a classic lawyer. Um, it's a classic lawyer personality trait to be perfectly honest. Um, but, but, but I think it's partly that, that, that was the impetus for me anyway, to want to strike out and, and with some good friends, do something different. Do something new. And I think we have achieved that with Town. Um, um, we we created. Uh, do you want me to talk about this now? We, 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 we created a. Firm. I'd love to hear about it. Yes. Yeah. We, we 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 tried to reverse a lot of a lot of the things that we hated about big law firms, like chargeable hours targets, um, uh, 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 um, us and them kind of culture. Um, people sitting in their own offices you know you know people you know somebody emailing somebody next door and saying mm. pop in that, that you know that doesn't ever happen in my organization we we you know mm. we we share a space we collaborate we engage we don't have chargeable hours targets for our lawyers what we have is uh, everybody has equity in the firm now Obviously, not everybody has the oh. same level of equity in the firm because the founders, mm-hmm. you know, we put a lot of money into the firm to establish it. But but what we wanted to do with our equity structure mm-hmm. was create a genuine sense of ownership um, right throughout the entire um, mm. throughout the entire firm, um, and that's that's the that's that, that's kind of the ethos of the firm that we've that we've. Um, that we've tried to cling to. Yeah. It's becoming more of a challenge as we get bigger. We're nearly, we're, we're 50 people now. That's really refreshing, or. Claire. Yeah. Um, we, we don't, wow, you gosh, know, you we, don't have, we don't years, have, that's, that's we, going some. we don't have a dress code particularly. Um, we, we, mm-hmm. we, we, we've been mm-hmm. inspired because of the sector we work in. I think we've been inspired by some of the planning consultants, some of the engineers, some of the architects. Who you know work in much more creative spaces than lawyers typically do, um, are um, more geared perhaps to collaborative working than lawyers traditionally are. Um, so, so that's the kind of that's the kind of sort of uh, ethos that we've tried to tried to um, to adopt and to, to grow.
0: And one of one of the things in the uh, we were saying in the introduction, Claire, is that you're. um, I think you've recently become the managing partner, having been one of the the co-founders, and you're um, taking an executive coaching course to kind of really promulgate the whole idea of lifetime learning across the firm. What are you um, aiming to take from your or your coaching? Um, course that that you think will be helpful in helping the firm go to the next stage. Well, my my uh, that's a that's a good question. And um, uh, my,
1: my coaching course is a bit of an experiment, to be honest, because I feel um mm-hmm. I, I've mm-hmm. had coaching myself in the past and found it beneficial. Um, I've always tried to adopt mm. a coaching approach with the guys that work with and for me. Um, um, a, a very communicative one, mm. and I'd like, and, and I found that gets mm. the best results. Um, I, I and I'm in, I, mm. I'm interested in the manager of the team, as it were, getting to understand mm-hmm. the, the, the members of the team and get the best out of the members of the team, and, and and that that's the wrong way of putting it actually, to to enable the team to be the best that they can be themselves, but also allow them the autonomy to find, to work that out for themselves. And I think that's what, that's the great, that's the difference between coaching and training, isn't it? Um, You know, training, you sit there and you're told stuff and that's great. Coaching, you're, 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 you're assisted or you're facilitated on a path where you work those things out for yourself.
0: Well, it sounds like it 's going to be a fascinating course, Claire. Um, I look forward to hearing how that goes now you 're a relatively new business. Um, what has been the main struggles, if any, that you 've faced over this time
1: um, we 've been we 've been extraordinarily lucky i think we've when we first I remember when we were first setting up. We, <laughs> you know, we we're, we're, bear in mind we're lawyers. So we sat down uh, and we thought, right, we've got a business. <laughs> this is how many clients we've we think we've got. This is how much money we think we're going to generate. This is how, this is how much we will we're, we're going to pay on rent. This is how much we're going to pay our people. This is how much profit we want to make. Brilliant job done. And then we then we went then then yeah. we then we got in some. Um, uh, a, a very old friend, um, uh, uh, who was the COO of Herbert Smith for many years, a lovely man called John Mullins, who and I was kind of leading on this numbers bit, and he sort of look gave me this withering look, and he said, "Claire, cash flow," and I said, "Oh, okay. Well, how do I do that then?" And he said, "So anyway, we sat down, and then we actually worked out <laughs> cash flow and actually what running a business really is." Yeah. Um, and um, we projected that we would be negative cash for the first few months actually um and that was on a fairly bullish assumption, as it turned out we weren't um we we've we've i'm not going to say i'm not going to say what I was about to say, but hitherto we, we, we certainly during that early period we were not we were not we've never been cash negative um and and we've never had any debt either um so so in financial terms the business the the business is sound Um, and the business is sound because of the people in it and and after it was founded um you know some other of the leading planning people who were all um you know looking for places to move to came to us so we doubled our partnership size more than doubled our partnership size in the first few years and brought together the plant, the planning practices of some of the you know of the major city firms all on all under one roof um, um so so as a as, That's uh, you incredible. know as a business model it's been very good uh, and you know our cost base is yeah. low compared to our competitors we've got no overseas offices we only deal in one mm. currency um you know the, the all, all of the all of the yeah. sort of head nightmare stuff that normally goes with running a law firm, actually we don't really have. Um so we're not complacent we're not yeah. complacent because the market's moving all the time. Um I mean you know the government might abolish the planning mm. system, who knows? Um, but um but so far, <laughs> so far, so far so good. Um one of the things that we're all n- mostly or almost unanimously agreed on is that we should stick to our knitting so to stick to what we know and not mm. to diversify um and overstretch
0: and and that's a common mistake that that uh, business people make isn't it that they forget the uh the, the the golden egg that they've actually laid and go and look elsewhere but uh on, on a personal as well as a business level claire what would you define as real success
1: well, so I think finance, finances and money is probably a part of it, isn't it? But, but, but what would I define as, as success? Being a happy, productive um, person with friends, making a contribution to society and probably giving back by the end of your days, maybe at least maybe laying some claim to have given back more than you took out. I think maybe that's a worthy life. Mm.
0: We know that there is uh, absolutely more to life than money, but do you personally now, because I know it sounds like you're thoroughly enjoying your time at town, but I also know you're a, a woman with a multitude of interests and other things that you'd like to do in your life. Do you have a kind of number or a level of income that you want to achieve that might enable you to consider stepping away from town at some point my my
1: needs are very you know are, are not I, I extra I don't have extravagant tastes particularly um I I think I could probably live on something like 40,000 a year once the mortgage is gone um um yeah broadly broadly speak broadly speaking and have a have a have a decent life and do the things mm-hmm. that I've I want to do, um, whether I will or I won't, or whether it will be more yeah. or less is, is to, to be to be seen, isn't it um, but, but but I would put it round about that level. you know I, do, I don't want a speedboat or a, or a, or, a anything, no. or a Ferrari or no. anything of that sort. Cool. I'm not interested in any of that stuff
0: and in general, would you say that money empowers you or money causes stress?
1: neither my money is a m- money for me is purely um, a means to achieving the things that I want to do in my life whether for myself or for other people mm-hmm. um, I, yeah. I I yeah I I don't have I don't have I don't f- have an, emo- an emotional relationship with money in that way
0: so what next for town Claire? what um what direction is it taking and is that going to leave you time to practice your golf swing is uh the question that I'm interested in knowing well oh, uh, um, th- 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 there's
1: there's always weekends and holidays um I'm one week into the managing partner job <laughs> and um that is tough actually um, and and particularly because mm. I think of all of us, of all of the part, of all of the founding partners, I'm probably the one who has carried the the idea of the culture more, um, or, or more strongly. And so I see it as my job to to inculcate that. And when you have new people coming in all the time, um, it's a job of work to to, to keep mm. that to keep that culture. And to keep people happy um, and to uh, not necessarily happy Mm. to keep it to keep people developing in the right way. Sometimes that involves giving difficult messages, doesn't it? As well as happy ones. Um, Yeah. um, So 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 I'm I'm still in feeling my way mode. um, But I've I've seen my workload. Yeah. uh, Increase dramatically. Since the end oh, since the end of christmas
0: well and and it will be interesting to see how you're going to fathom that workload and uh, how you're going to recruit others to to share that burden because I you know I guess that that's the uh, one of the key things that the the leader of the business needs to do, but no doubt you'll figure that out mm. out mm. I'm getting rapidly better at
1: delegation than I used to be um uh, and that that poses its own problems, doesn't? It? Yeah, there's an art to it for sure. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah there really is. Um, and yes. um, um, yeah, so so yeah, all of that's going on. I will I will report back, but it's it's early days. The jury is still out on whether I will be any good as a managing partner. Definitely. but
0: um, yeah, uh, we will see. Now, Claire, we're, we're kind of coming towards the the end of our of our conversation, and I'm going to ask you a question that I always love to ask my guests, and that is. What would you say has been your best buy that's been under thirty pounds or so in the last year, and and why is that?
1: I would say the best buy I have made for under thirty pounds is a book called "The Theory of Justice" by a, um, a a now sadly departed American political philosopher called John Rawls, and he ha- and that book has is a, a sort of a seminal um um kind of water watershed in in the field of political philosophy in which I've become weirdly interested. Um, uh, <laughs> and um, it's led me in all sorts of directions um, of wanting to read more um to read more um literature because you know to mm-hmm. classical literature to read more history um, to read more, um, just just to read more generally, and so that book has really uh, the book and, uh, uh, and its responses because it created a storm at the time. It was it was published in the early seventies. Um, um, has been something that sort of changed <laughs> my life, even to the extent that I'm actually going for a weekend in Oxford um, in February because it's a hundred. 100th anniversary of John Rawls' birth, I suppose it must be. Um, and I'm going to an all-day seminar in Oxford on this very book. So how tragic wow.
0: is that? Wow, God, it certainly has captured your imagination. Is there a John Rawls um, costume that everybody wears, Clara? I
1: do I, I, you know, I think there should be. He, i I tell you <laughs> what it, it would comprise of. It would comprise of... Uh, do you remember John Major's <laughs> glasses? Um, yes. Imagine, imagine John Major's glasses, but twenty percent larger. So, if after this interview you go on to <laughs> you go on to Google and Google an image of John Rawls, that's R A W W L S. You will, you will, you will be able to put together yeah. your own um, John Rawls costume.
0: Brilliant. And finally, Claire, I always love to leave our listeners with a practical piece of money wisdom, which I'm calling the Claire money pool of wisdom, what would yours be?
1: Keep it simple. Um, I've Mm. seen so many people um, who, uh, you know, I'm obviously not an expert in this, that I defer to you entirely on this sort of thing. But, um, you know, (laughs) endowment mortgage, no, thanks very much. Um, You know, one of these, Schemes no, not really. so I've always I've always sought to keep my um, financial affairs as simple as I possibly can.
0: I think that's absolutely brilliant advice, and I, I, I you, you've you nailed it. Anything that uh, is complicated. I remember being at a seminar a number of years ago, and somebody saying to me, but surely, Ruth, don't you talk to your clients about blah, blah, blah kind of tax scheme? And I was just thinking, why do I need to do that? I don't have to make it sound clever and fancy. You just do, you know, funnily enough, the right thing's always in fashion, isn't it? But, um but uh, Claire thank you so much you've been a lovely guest and 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 you've you've given us so much to think about thank you being for being so open about your your transition journey and about the ethos that you're creating at town it sounds like a really refreshing legal firm and um it only leaves me oh and also the John Rawls uh costume is something to to check out for sure it just leaves me to say thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it and um look forward to catching up with you. Yes, again.
1: likewise. My my great, great pleasure and thank you for asking me on.
0: Thank you, Claire. Yeah, take care. Gosh, so many takeaways and things to learn from Claire's story. I think the standout comment for me was when she said it didn't feel like it was an act of bravery. I felt it was an act of submission really. What a reminder for all of us to live a life that is genuinely true to us. Be the person you were born to be. Now, I look forward to speaking with you next time when I'll be talking to a wonderful, inspiring man, known to many as the father of life planning. That man is George Kinder. I look forward to chatting then. Have a good time. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I'd really appreciate it if you could take a couple of minutes of your time to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts to subscribe, rate, and give a five-star review for Money Expresso. Apparently, this helps more people to find the podcast so we can help more people think differently about their money and their life. If you've got any thoughts, comments, or questions on any of the matters discussed, or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. Of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. My intention is to merely share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. So please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you. Thank you.